Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus, it's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here, and yes, I hate to break a sweat. So come join me in the escape room where we will do as little as possible to use our bodies. We'll use our minds instead. So we're really glad that you're here. If this is your first time, we, we want you to know that you're so welcome. We, we love it when people are here for the first time. And we also love it when people who were here for the first time came back this week as well. That's exciting to us. Too. So thank you for coming. Something that we do every week is we, we take some time and open up the Bible and study it together. And, and today we're going to continue our Bible study in the book of Genesis. So if you brought a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 45. We'll be starting in verse 25 of that chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll also put the words up on the screen. But if you want to hold a Bible, you can look underneath the seat around you and find a hardback Bible with a black cover. In that Bible, you can turn to page 39, and you'll find Genesis chapter 45 there. And if you don't have a Bible with you because you don't actually own a Bible, we want you to take that Bible home with you. It's our gift to you because we believe every person should be able to own a copy of the Bible for themselves. But Genesis 45 is where we are. And if you missed last week, Pastor Jeff caught us back up on the story of a man named Joseph. And that's who we'll be talking about a little bit today, this man named Joseph. The, the narrative, the story that we're going to be looking over is really contained in chapter 43, 44, and 45. But for time's sake, I'm not going to read all of that, but I encourage you to do that at some point. Go read chapter 43, 44, and 45 because it's an incredible story. There are moments where it's actually a hilarious story. There are some really fun and cool things that God does. There are some funny things that this man Joseph does. We won't get to cover all of that today because of time's sake. So I encourage you to go read the story for yourself. But I do want to catch us up where we are and, and give us kind of the, the Wikipedia plot summary of the story. So this man named Joseph is one of 12 sons of a man named Jacob. And this man named Jacob loves Joseph more than he loves all of his other sons. And he shows a lot of favor to Joseph, more than he shows to his 11 other sons. And, and this Joseph gets a little bit of a complex about that. And, and he likes to brag about some of his accomplishments. And he likes to brag about how much his father loves him. And one night he has a dream. Then he and his brothers are out in a field and they're gathering sheaves of wheat together. And in this dream, he sees his brother's sheaves of wheat bow down to his sheaf of wheat. And he wakes up the next morning and says, I should tell my brothers about this dream. And he tells them about that dream and they become angry and they say, are you trying to tell us that you think you're going to rule over us one day? Are you suggesting that one day we're going to bow down to you? 
To make matters worse, their father had given Joseph a beautiful coat to wear to display how much he loved him more than the rest of their brothers. And this dream for them was the final straw. So they take Joseph and they rip the coat off of him and they sell him into slavery. And they take this torn coat and they dip it in the blood of an animal and they take it to their father and say, look, we found this coat. Do you think it's Joseph's? And Joseph believes that his, Jacob believes that his son Joseph has been mauled by some wild beast, when in reality he had been sold into slavery into Egypt. And through a series of miraculous events that God truly orchestrated, Joseph goes from being, as Pastor Jeff said last week, a prisoner to prime minister overnight. God truly changed his circumstances and changed his life. And this becomes very fortuitous for Joseph's brothers, because by this time there is now a famine across the world. And during this famine, Jacob said to his brothers, to Joseph's brothers, I want you to go down to Egypt and buy grain there, because the world had heard Egypt had somehow stored up enough grain to feed not only themselves, but everyone else around. You see, what happened was this Joseph had become so wise that God used his perspicuity to help him lead the nation into understanding what to do to store up food so that they had a surplus, enough to go around for themselves and enough for other people to come and buy it as well. And so Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt to buy grain And lo and behold, there's Joseph sitting on the throne in charge of grain distribution. Now, they don't realize it's Joseph. In fact, there's no reason for them to imagine that Joseph would be sitting here. They imagine that Joseph is either dead or working somewhere for a master. There's no reason for them to believe he's sitting on the throne. But Joseph recognizes all of his brothers. And he decides to have a little fun with them. Can you imagine the opportunity that's before Joseph now? All of these years have gone by, and he has this chance to get back at them by playing with them a little bit. And he says, it's on. Here we go. And they come, and they say, we're here to buy grain. And he says, I don't believe you. I think you're actually spies. I think you're just here to spy out the weakness of our land so you can later bring an army and take us over during this famine. And they say, no, we swear to you, we're we're not spies. Our father sent us here because our family needs food, and we heard that you have it. And Joseph said, well, why don't you tell me about your family? You have a father? He sent you here. Do you have any other brothers at home? Knowing the answer that his younger brother, Benjamin, is still back at home because he doesn't see Benjamin with them. And they say, yes, we actually have a younger brother. He's, in fact, our father's favorite. He's at home with our father because he didn't want him to leave because he knows what happens to the youngest son when he goes out with his brothers. So he wouldn't let Benjamin come with us because he was afraid that he might die. But we have another brother at home. And Joseph says, I don't believe you. You're all spies. I'm going to hold one of you captive until you bring your younger brother back here and prove to me that you're truly not spies. They're very frustrated by this because they know that their father is not going to allow Benjamin to come back. And now this other brother, Simeon, is going to be kept in an Egyptian jail until they bring Benjamin back to them. And so they, in in great distress, leave Joseph's court. And just before they leave, Joseph had commanded his servant to take the money that they'd paid for their grain and hide it in their knapsacks. So while they're on their way home, they open up their backpacks to get a granola bar and they see that the money 
that they'd paid for all that grain is actually sitting in the tops of their bags. So not only do they have to go back and tell dad, um, Simeon's in jail and he wants to see Benjamin before he'll give us more food. But now if they even go back, there's the fear that they're going to believe they stole this money. What a predicament Joseph has put his brothers in. And they kind of deserve it, really, if you, if you can imagine it. So they get back home and they tell Jacob, listen, here's what happened. Bad news, Simeon's in jail and now we got to take Benjamin with us. And you can imagine what Jacob says. Oh, no, you're not taking my favorite son, Benjamin, with you. We'll starve before that happens. And a couple of years go by. Jacob lets his son Simeon rot in an Egyptian prison. He lets his family run out of food until he eventually turns to his sons and says, hey, why don't you guys, guys go uh, buy some food? They say, dad, you know that if we go back to Egypt without Benjamin, we're not going to get a thing. And he refuses. And finally, one of the brothers, Judah, persuades him. He says, if you send Benjamin, you can have my life as collateral for him. If anything happens to Benjamin, you can kill me. Finally, Jacob relents, not because he realizes they need food, but he just gives up. He says, that's fine. If, if I lose all of my sons, so what? Who cares? Just go on. Go back to Egypt. And they go to Egypt, and they get there. Jacob plays a couple, Joseph plays a couple more tricks on his brothers until eventually he takes off the mask and reveals his identity, says, ta-da, it's me, it's Joseph. And they're like, what? <laughs> no, it's, it's me, Joseph. I'm your brother, the one you sold into slavery. How is our father Jacob doing? Is he still alive? Is he well? And they eventually believe that it is in fact Joseph because Joseph would be the only one who knew these things. And, and they tell him that Jacob is alive. He is well, and he's waiting to get food from you, so could you please send some to us? And Joseph eventually sends caravans of food down to Jacob. And this picks us up in our story in Genesis chapter 45, verse 25. It says, so they went up. These are Joseph's brothers. They went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart, Jacob's heart, became numb because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he'd said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him back to Egypt, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. There's a lot for us to cover here. It's an incredible story that we have in the Bible, and I want to point at some important things, particularly about Joseph and his numb heart that he had because of the death of Joseph. But before we do that, I would like for us to pray together. So would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for this story in the Bible about Joseph and also about Jacob. I pray that that as we study it today, you would help us to learn more about Jesus, that, that you would do a miracle that happens every time we open the Bible and study it, that you would show us who Jesus is and help us to believe that he is who he said he was. I thank you, Lord, that we have this gift we call the Bible to teach us about you. I pray that you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 26, it says, when Jacob hears the news of his son Joseph still being 
alive, his heart becomes numb, which is kind of an odd thing, but it's not really all that odd if you think about any time you've ever spoken to someone who's recently lost a loved one, especially if that loss was sudden and unexpected. Many times what they'll say, and maybe you've said this yourself in a time like that, is I just feel numb right now. I just feel very numb. And and oftentimes that numbness is a gift from God. It's our body's physiological response so that our emotions don't overwhelm us. It actually helps us to get through the moment so that we can still make the decisions that we need to make in those times. Sometimes numbness can be a gift for a period of time. But it is not a gift when it lasts 22 years like it did for Jacob. All this time, his heart is numb from his loss of his son, Joseph. All this time, his heart had become hardened. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've said it this way. His heart became dead inside. See, the circumstances of his life had, had arranged themselves in such a way that he, he felt like everything was against him. And he lost that which was most precious to him. And when he did, he let himself become hardened and bitter. And this bitterness, this hardness of heart, this, this anger, this numbness, this overwhelming sorrow that he felt, it motivated him to live out of fear. His refusal to send Benjamin back to Egypt was a fearful decision because what if what happened to Joseph happens to Benjamin? And in his fear, he allowed his family to suffer. He allowed Simeon to stay in prison. He allowed his family to stay hungry because he was too afraid to send Benjamin back to Egypt. It also caused him to become very apathetic And that he says, I don't care. He eventually relents and says, why don't you just go back to Egypt? And if you all die there, that's fine. I'm giving up on all of you. If I lose all my sons, who cares? You see, this hardness of heart, this bitterness that he experienced had led him to just give up. I wonder how many of us are, are, and maybe maybe the Holy Spirit right now is, is pointing at something in your life that happened years ago. That, that caused you to become angry or upset or bitter. That, that caused you to, to become numb towards others and towards God. And in the midst of that time, you've, you've been living your life in fear. And there have been times where you, you've decided to, to give up on life or give up on others around you. I wonder how many of us are like Jacob because of what's happened to us and because of the way we've responded to it. See, Jacob seemed to lack an understanding in all of this that that Joseph seemed to have. Joseph seemed to have an understanding that God is, in fact, in control of all things, That, that all of the circumstances, all of the sufferings, all of the difficulties of life that come at us are not outside of God's purview. Jacob seemed to lack this understanding while Joseph had it. If we look at Jacob's life, I bet most of us could compare ourselves to Jacob and say, yeah, I'm quite a bit like that guy. But then if we go to look at Joseph's life, we see a completely different picture of a response to what happens when we, when we refuse to allow our hearts to become hardened. You see, the Bible speaks about heart, our hearts, more than it does anything else. The book of Proverbs tells us to to guard our hearts with the utmost vigilance. 
the book of Hebrews warns us against letting our hearts become hardened. And it says, if we let our hearts become hardened, we're in danger of falling away from believing in God. Jesus, in a conversation with the religious leaders of his day, accused them of caring more about outward appearances than what was really going on inside their heart. He says, you look at the outside and that's what impresses you. But what impresses God is what's happening on someone's inside. He cares so much more about what's going on in our heart than he cares about what we do with our hands. Because what we do with our hands flows out of what's happening in our hearts. He wants to get what's going on in our heart right before he gets anything else right. That's why this is such an important thing for us to understand. And we see that though Jacob's heart had become numbed and hardened in spite of what happened to Joseph, his did not. And Joseph had ample reason to become just as hardened as Jacob had. See, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And he was bought by a man named Potiphar, who eventually made him the chief servant in his house. But while he's working there, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph falsely of trying to have his way with her. And he's thrown into prison. So he goes from becoming a slave to now a prisoner. And while he's in prison, he does a favor for a couple of his cellmates. And they promise to return that favor and they forget about him there. Heartbreak after heartbreak, disappointment after disappointment he goes through. And yet he still remains a man who chooses to view life through the way God would have him to see it. And we see this evident in his response to his brothers when he finally reveals himself. Chapter 45, verse 5, the first thing he says to them after he says, it's me, it's your brother Joseph. He says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. That's not what I would have said to them. <laughs> he has opportunity right here to actually sell them into slavery. He could throw all of them into prison. He could take their lives if he wanted to. You know what I would have done if I were him? I would have reminded them of that dream I had where all of their sheaves were bowing down to me. Remember that time I dreamt you, were, you guys were going to be doing what you're doing right now? That's what I would have said, but he doesn't. He chooses to freely forgive them. He says, I don't want you to be mad at yourselves because of what you've done to me. Can you imagine that? 22 years and the last memory he had of them, the last time he saw them, they were waving goodbye as they'd sold him into slavery. Many of you know I have a younger brother. His name is Billy and, and we're about 23 months apart. So we're pretty close in age. We were both homeschooled. So we spent a lot of time together growing up. We shared a room for a period of time. We were de facto best friends as children, whether we wanted to be or not. Most of the time, we did not want to be. But when you're homeschooled, you only have yourself or your siblings. So we were stuck with each other. And when you put two boys in close quarters together for long periods of time, sometimes terrible things happen. I have been struck in the back of the neck by hammer-shaped toys by my brother. His, his wiry hands have wrapped themselves around my neck and attempted to strangle me to extinction. There was one time he opened up a safety pin while I wasn't looking and he crept up behind me and slowly pushed it into the fat of my thigh. And I screamed at him, what are you doing? And he says, I just wanted to see what would happen. I have plenty of reasons to not forgive my brother. 
I have plenty of reasons to be bitter and angry and hateful at him. And he, me as well. We have plenty of reasons to never want to speak to one another ever again because of all the terrible things we've done to each other. But on top of all of those terrible things, we also have a lot of good memories with each other. We've had a lot of fun together. We've told a lot of great jokes together. We've gotten in a lot of awesome trouble together. And so because I have all these good memories of him, it helps me to forget how terrible of a person he is. (laughs) Joseph did not have this luxury. He had no good memories of his brother. He had no camaraderie with him. He had no good stories to tell. All he had to remember about his brothers was that they hated him. They wanted him dead. They wanted him out of the family. So they sold him as though he was an item and not their brother. That's all he has to remember of them. And the first thing he says to them, after 22 years of thinking about this and wondering, why did all of this happen to me? When he finally gets his chance to give them their comeuppance, he says, don't be mad at yourselves. Don't be upset with what you've done. I forgive you. If I'm honest with myself, I could never be that forgiving. And I bet if we were to all be honest with one another, most of us would say we could never be that forgiving. See, it would be easy for me to look at Joseph here and say, what a wonderful example of of forgiveness. I should try to be more like Joseph, but that's impossible. That's hopeless for me. I can't be like Joseph. If we're honest, you can't be like Joseph either. But do you know who is just like Joseph? Jesus. Jesus is. This is less of a picture of an example of how we should be, but more of an arrow pointing us to see what Jesus is really like. And so many of us come to him feeling angry at ourselves for the things that we've done. Feeling angry about what we did last night. Feeling angry about the choices we made this week. Feeling angry about the words we spoke this morning. And the first thing he wants to say to us that we would just listen is, don't be mad at yourself. I forgive you. Just as Joseph was seized by wicked men who sold him to a slave trader, Jesus is seized by wicked men and nailed to a cross. And he's hoisted up in the air for everyone walking by to see. And many of the people who pass by hurl insults at him. Many of them mock him. Many of them yell at him and shame him and make fun of him as he's dying for their sins. And do you know what he says? He doesn't say what I would say. I would say, you wait till my father hears about this. He doesn't say that to them. He says, father, would you forgive them? They don't even know what they're doing. Many times I have come to God trembling in sorrow for the things that I've done, fearful that Jesus was going to say to me, you just wait till my father hears about this. When all the while he wants to say, my father has forgiven you because I've died for that sin. I've taken away that sin. I don't even care about it. Joseph is an arrow pointing us to Jesus. He was able to understand God's forgiveness. And along with understanding God's forgiveness, he was also able to understand God's sovereignty. The reality that God is ruling and reigning over all of the universe. Verse 5, he says, Do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here, because God sent me before you 
to preserve life. Verse 7, he says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant. Verse 80 says, it was not you who sent me here. It was God who sent me here. He says, you think that you are selling me into slavery. You think that, that you are getting rid of me. You think that you were doing me harm, but all the while God's hands were involved. God was bringing me to this place. He was able to understand that the evil his brothers had perpetrated on him was actually being moved along strangely, miraculously, but preciously by God. It's in this moment that he's able to forgive them, understanding that because God was involved, of course they shouldn't be angry with themselves. Of course you shouldn't hold it against yourself for bringing, because you sold me here, because it was God who was sending me before you, he says. He seems to understand that just because something is bad, it doesn't mean that it can't be good. And he can look back at his imprisonment and realize that, that even though that was a very bad thing that had happened to him, being sold into slavery, being falsely accused, being imprisoned, being forgotten about in prison, just because those bad things happened didn't mean good would never come from it. And he sees it right here, being reunited with his brothers. Another example we have of, of understanding that just because something's bad doesn't mean it can't be good is the crucifixion of Jesus. That is a wicked, terrible act that they would take Jesus, the son of God, and murder him. That they would parade him through the streets of Jerusalem, naked, beating him with whips, shaming him all of the way, and raising him up above for everyone to see. It's a terrible, disgusting act. But God used that to bring forgiveness to all of us. Just because something's bad doesn't mean it can't be good. Conversely, just because something's good doesn't mean it can't be bad. I'll give you an example. Gravy. <laughs> Gravy. Gravy is my favorite food. And I would eat it every day. In fact, there have been times in my life where I ate gravy every day. But at some point I realized that this very good thing, gravy, is also a very bad thing. And if I continue to eat gravy every day, I probably will die before I'm 40. <laughs> Just because gravy is good, and it is so good, doesn't mean it can't be bad. And it is so bad. Just because something's good doesn't mean it can't be bad. I wonder if there's anyone in the room who's in a relationship that you think is amazing, but everyone around you says, you need to break up with him. You need to forget her number. I wonder if there's anyone in the room who's been presented with a new job opportunity and it seems really exciting and wonderful, but there's a close friend who's come to you and said, you know what, if you take that, it's going to pull you away from your family more. It's going to take you out of the things that you love. It seems to be really good, but just because it's good doesn't mean it can't be bad. See, we, we have this problem where we think that 
that everything good that happens to us in life must be from God. And because we think that everything good that's happening to us is from God, we think that everything bad happening to us isn't from God. Joseph understood that that's not true. Just because something is bad doesn't mean it doesn't come from God. And he realized that. And because he understood this, he was also able to understand God's grace. He says to them, In verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. He said, God sent me here to preserve you. Now, it's easy for me to get on board with going through something difficult if it's going to turn out good for me in the end. If there's good coming my way, I can endure just about anything if I know there's a reward. But for Joseph, he realized that the reward wasn't even for himself. All that he suffered was, in fact, for his ungrateful, terrible brothers who'd sold him into slavery. He said, God sent me before you to preserve your lives. That's hard for me to deal with. That's almost scandalous. But it's a lot like God's grace. See, we have an understanding of God's grace where we, we often define it as God's undeserved favor, his undeserved kindness towards us. And that truly is what God's grace is. It's his kindness towards us that we haven't earned, that we haven't deserved, that he just freely gives to us. But there's a component in that that we miss if we only say that because God's grace is him doing for us what we could never do for ourselves just as Joseph does for his brothers here, just as Joseph does for his enemies here. So the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that, that when we were still God's enemies, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, his enemies. Joseph somehow understands that. And it would be easy for me to look at Joseph's life and say, wow, what an example of graciousness. I should try and be more like Joseph. But if you know me, you know I'm not that guy. And I bet if we were all to be honest with ourselves and with one another, most of us would say, none of us are that person. None of us knows how to be that gracious, that kind, that giving I know somebody who does. It's Jesus. Again, less, less about being an example for us to live. Joseph's life is an arrow that points us to see what Jesus is really like. Most of us, if we were to compare ourselves to the characters in this story, I bet most of us would fall under Jacob's category more so than under Joseph's category. There have been many times where I've allowed my heart to become numb. I've allowed my heart to become hardened and bitter. I've allowed myself to want to give up because of things that have happened. And I see that I'm much more like Jacob than I am Joseph here. But this wonderful thing happens at the end of chapter 45. It says, they come, Joseph's brothers come to Jacob. In verse 26, it says, when they tell him that Joseph is still alive, his heart became numb because he didn't believe him. When they told him all the words that Joseph had said, and when he saw the wagons that Jacob, Joseph sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob revived. It's after he hears this good news 
that Joseph is still alive, that his heart revives. This is what brings life back into him, is when he believes that his son Joseph is still alive. If we're ever to, to become like Joseph, if we're ever to become like Jesus, if we ever have any hope of understanding this type of forgiveness and extending it to others, there's only one way that will ever happen for us, and that's if we understand and hear the good news that Jesus is still alive. It was in this moment that when Jacob believes that, that his heart comes back to life. And it's as simple as that for us, that if we believe that Jesus is still alive, he can bring life back to our hearts. Our hearts can revive. Verse 27 it says, when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Verse 28 says, and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I thought it was very interesting that verse 27 refers to Joseph's father as Jacob. And then without any explanation in verse 28, it calls him Israel. Doesn't tell us any reason why it goes from calling him Jacob in verse 27 and Israel in verse 28. But if you remember from several weeks ago, we studied this moment in Jacob's life that many years before this, he's out camping in the wilderness. And in the middle of the night, a man appears to him and starts wrestling with him. It's a weird story, I know. But there's this guy in the middle of the night who's wrestling with him. And he just embraces it. He's like, come on, let's do this. And as he's wrestling with this guy in the middle of the night, he realizes that the guy he's wrestling with is no mere man. He realizes that he's actually wrestling with God. And God says to Jacob, why don't you tell me your name? As though he didn't know. But he asks him, why don't you tell me your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. If you don't know, Jacob actually means deceiver, liar. It means selfish one, someone who puts himself before others. God says, what's your name? And Jacob says, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a deceiver. And God says, you know what? I think, I think we're going to change that. I think we're going to change your name. And he gives him a brand new identity. And he says, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. From now on, we're going to call you Israel which means he wrestles with God. No longer are you a deceitful, lying, conniving, wicked man. You're a man who holds on to God and refuses to let go of him. That's who you are. Somewhere along the line, probably after Joseph's death, this changed for Jacob. And so he goes from being Israel, the man who refuses to let go of God, and he becomes Jacob again, the deceiver, the selfish one, the, the one who puts himself before others, the one whose heart is hardened and numb. I wonder if, how, from all of us in this room, how many of us are there who at, at one point would say, there was a time in my life that I had a really great relationship with God. And I wonder if you would also say that maybe you used terms like this. I, I felt like I always felt his presence with me. Maybe you always cared about what he cared about. And, and, and maybe you always tried to think the way he would try to think. But somewhere along the line, something happened. Something happened that hurt you, wounded you, damaged. 
angered, caused bitterness and pain. And in the midst of all of that, your heart became hardened. And you were no longer the person who refused to let go of God, but you became like your old self all over again. I wonder if there's anyone in the room like that. Because if there is, I, I know that what we all need to hear is the same thing that got us into God's family in the first place. It's this good news that Jesus is still alive. And so if you're in a place where you, where you feel hardened and bitter and you're no longer holding on to God like you used to and you've become your old self again, the answer for all of us is that we would believe that Jesus is still alive. It's the miracle of the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, that when we believe it, it brings life to our hearts. It's all his work and all he asks of us just believe, just believe. And the life that he gives us, the change that he makes inside of us is truly a miracle. And instantly, as Joseph goes from being a prisoner to prime minister, we can go from being the deceiver, the liar, the hard-hearted one to the one who won't let go of God no matter what. The band is going to be returning in a few moments. And when they do, they're going to sing a few more songs. And during that time, we'll have an opportunity to, to sing songs of worship to Jesus. We'll have an opportunity to pray to Jesus. And I want to encourage all of us during that time to, to pause and consider, is there anything in my life that has caused me to become hard-hearted? Is there anything that has caused my heart to become numb? Is there anything that's broken my heart in such a way that I feel dead inside? And if we can, if we can find one of those things, I want to encourage all of us that while we're singing worship songs to Jesus, that we would stop and thank him for still being alive. That we, when we sing to him, we would sing to him, as though he is alive. Not as though we're singing an anthem to, to some dead hero, but we're singing songs to a king who is alive right now and ruling and reigning over all the universe. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for the gospel that as the Bible tells us, is the, the power that you use to bring salvation to us. The thing that you use, the agent you use to change our hearts is this good news that Jesus is alive. Lord, I pray that as we spend time tonight focusing on you, worshiping you, thanking you for what you've done for us, I pray that you, that you would remind us of this truth, that you are alive. I pray for those of us in the room who are struggling to believe it, who are struggling to believe that you really are as good as you say you are, Lord, I pray that you would show us that. Help us to believe it. I pray for those of us in the room who are, are fearful that, that you're angry with us over our sins, fearful that you're going to say, wait till my father hears about this. 
Lord, I pray that you would show us how kind and loving and forgiving that you are. I pray that you would show us that Joseph doesn't even hold a candle to you. That he's, that, that he's not even as good as you are. You're so much better than that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that and believe it. I thank you, Lord, that that's who you are. And I thank you that you never change. That, that you never change because your character stays the same and you never change based on the things that we do or don't do. You're always forgiving and always gracious. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to you tonight, to turn our attention to you and to worship you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.